happening? <laughs> some, some of you guys are looking at us like, why are they all out here? <laughs> What's about to happen? So we're starting this new series on rest called Letting Go. And uh, one, I, I keep saying one and two, so I'm going to try to stop that for right now. But um, it would be awesome to have us all out here because uh, we, one, are the teaching team. And uh, each of us get to spend a moment teaching here uh, at Casas. But the reason I love this is we're all really, really different. And so when it came to this idea of rest, I thought this would be a really good opportunity to talk with all of you about this because I bet in this room, uh, there's a lot of differences when it comes to what fills us with rest, when we know we're resting, like all these different things. And usually if you live in a household, you have one person that kind of is like, this is the recipe for the whole house. Everybody's gonna rest this one way. And yet there's a lot of diversity to that, isn't there? And so I just wanted to model that and give you guys some illustration of that too so that you can say, oh, maybe this is like me because we're all pretty, pretty different. That's why you're smiling at me. So um, I wanna start with uh, this question. I'm only gonna ask two. And the first one is, um, when it comes to the idea of rest, how do you guys know when you need it? Like what, what's the cues for you where you suddenly go, oh, I'm actually tired and I need rest. And I wanna start with Stacy. So I actually didn't know the answer to this. I didn't know how, like, what I did when I got tired. So I actually had to go home, and I asked Andy, I asked my husband, and he had a response pretty fast. He knows when I get tired. He said that he notices I tend to disengage. Like, he'll find me sitting on the couch scrolling behind my phone, which isn't something I do very often, or I'll sit on the couch and just hold really still and, like, binge watch a TV show. And normally I'm up and I'm doing things and I'm involved in stuff or I'm talking. And so he noticed that I, when I'm I'm tired, when I'm stressed, when I'm just kind of done, that's when I start to disengage and check out and kind of pull back a little bit. Right. So a world where you aren't moving around and talking about, <laughs> is a scary world. Yes, it's something right. he pays attention <laughs> exactly. to. Right, I can, I can get that. I want you to catch something really important that she said, because uh, I, I think some of you might resonate with this, and it's that she just actually articulated she doesn't know when she needs rest and that somebody else tells her. Right? I bet you there's somebody in this room, maybe, and I'm a little bit this way if I'm honest too. My wife, Amber, will look at me and immediately be like, Ryan, you're tired. Ryan, you're grumpy. Ryan, you're like in this space. And I'll look and go, wait, really? Like I'm not even aware of that. And I bet you there's some of you guys too where that's the same thing. It's almost like rest catches you off guard. Like it sneaks up on you somehow and exactly. somebody else has to point it out. Mm -hmm. Right. So, okay. So Glenn... How, how about you? Um, like, so like one of the things with me that I've uh, noticed over the years is I've picked up this twitch in my eye. So emotionally, I may be like, oh, I'm great. And my eye's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. And it's like... Can I, you see? Can we see the twitch? I, well, I always worry about that because sometimes I'll be talking to someone and it's like going off in that moment. And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh -huh. And I'm like, what are they thinking right now? I don't know. So I don't know. So if we ever see it, do we have permission to acknowledge <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, I was just saying, are you tired? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Well, one of the things I love about what you just said, or that's interesting, is your brain tells your body. So if you, or I'm sorry, the other way around, your body tells your brain. So right. you're not even aware of it. And the next thing you know, your body's sending you cues. Letting me know. And that's the piece that finally <laughs> yes. like is the indicator. Oh my gosh, I'm tired and I need a little bit of rest here. Okay. And then Seth, by the way, I love that Seth's up here because of all of us, Seth is the only introvert. Uh, and so he sometimes operates and engages in these things a little differently, which is why it's really good to have you here. It's good to be here. <laughs> like I said. <laughs> uh, so for me, a lot like Sissy or, or Ryan, where my family is, is quick to let me know when I'm probably tired. Uh, and, and I and see myself getting cranky and grumpier than I normally am. Uh, and so that's a big indicator. But uh, the bigger one for me is that I can tell when I need rest 
when I'm having a really hard time focusing or finding motivation to, to do things, you know, I can sit at my desk and say, I know I've got a lot of work to do today, but I don't know where to start. Uh, and so half of my energy, you know, that I, the little bit that I have left goes into what do I do right now? Okay. So you, of all of us, maybe have the greatest awareness of the fact that, like, you need rest in the moments that you do because you, you encounter it. Yeah, introverts do. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. You know, for me, uh, I was trying to think about this. I, I'm not always aware that I need it. And what ends up happening is I end up getting tired. I'm not aware that I'm tired because I don't like to be tired. So I keep telling myself I'm not. And then I actually start getting critical of people. So what'll happen, I don't know if any of you guys are wired the same way, is it's kind of like nobody else push over the dominoes because I'm too tired to stack them back up. You know where you get like that? in ways that I wouldn't normally be in a, in a given day or situation, all of a sudden that happens and that's usually my flag uh, to do that. So um, second question here, and that is, so okay, you've identified that you need rest. What brings you rest? Like what do you do to actually give that peace to yourself? So for me, my favorite thing is to do a really, really difficult workout. Like I want something that absolutely exhausts me and wipes me out. Or I really like to be outside. So like a really aggressive hike is also something that when I'm just done and I need to take a day off, like that's the thing that brings life and joy and I really, really get to look forward to. Did we just notice that Stacey <laughs> used the word aggressive and rest <laughs> in the same sentence? My favorite thing. <laughs> right. So you like to get all that energy out, right? Yes, so, <laughs> all that energy yeah, out. If, right. if sneaking Try. away and being quiet is, is your thing, never go on a rest retreat with Stacey. <laughs> but you'll do a lot of things. You're going to do a lot of stuff. Yeah, what, what about, you're kind of wired the same way, yeah, right? Very similar. Um, it, like, I want to be exhausted. Like, if I need rest, there's something about, to like, and getting away from the normal routine of whatever I'm in. Like, I, I want to get away. Like, sitting at the house is like, Terrifying. Like, uh, like I want to go out someplace, and I can relate with like getting exhausted on like, because then you sleep so good. Yes. You feel so restful. Exactly. It feels awesome. <laughs> yeah. How many of you identify with this? Yeah. There's a few of you out here. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yes. You drink all the coffee in the morning. You're that pretty, yeah. All right. So Seth, uh, for you, it looks different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, so when I really do need rest, one of the things, and I, didn't, I don't think I made up this phrase, but I take what's called introvert vacations, uh, where and my family is good at just saying, this seems like something that it would be helpful for you and in turn helpful for us. So uh, they let me go away for like three or four days and go off to, you know, doesn't matter where I go, but it's a place where I can go and be on my own. The last one I went on, I, uh, I went up there, went to the grocery store, went to the place I was staying and spent three days. And I don't think I said a single word. You didn't talk to anybody. I don't think I did. For three days. For three days. Because uh, instead I, I read and I took my kids' video games and played them and just, you know, <laughs> and did a lot of just kind of processing. Because for me, I need to get away and process. I don't want to empty my mind. I want to be able to get everything back in right. How many of you think that sounds delightful? Yeah, so see, oh, you're here. There's you're so in this room. many of you. How many of you feel like that would be being put in time out for a weekend? It's a punishment. Yeah. Not talk? I don't Making understand. my eye twitch right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do relate with you, though. For me, uh, there's a part of it where I'm not like these two, where I'm like, I need to go engage in something really aggressive. I need to like, separate myself and kind of order my head and my heart somehow. Uh, that doesn't always mean not talking to people, but it just means taking a break from whatever it is I'm engaged in somehow to where I can get my clarity or my perspective back or whatever. So I'm kind of probably a hybrid of, of all of you guys, although being alone in a room for three days 
does it was sound a house. Like. It wasn't like I was just in a room. It sounds like Alcatraz. <laughs> so <laughs> multiple rooms to be alone. Right. Right. So here's the here's the point uh, with all of this. Again, do you see the diversity of experience here and the perspective? I, I just I wanted to illustrate this for you because there's not one right answer to this, but what's important is just to know we're each human beings, so we each have a limitation. We each have sides to us that eventually kind of run out of gas or steam or we get fatigued. Sometimes that's in life. Sometimes that's a really deep kind of fatigue, right, that can happen. Learning to pay attention to to what it is that you need and being able to offer yourself that is really, really important. So that's some of what we're going to talk about in this series. But as Glenn steps forward, he's going to step forward in just a moment to teach. Uh, What we're going to talk about today in particular is this idea of a deeper kind of rest, like the need for a deeper kind of rest uh, that helps ground us in some of that so that it's not just like relying on a vacation to vacation or moment to moment, but something that we can anchor ourselves in. So uh, I hope this is a blessing for each of you guys. Let me pray uh, for, for Glenn as he makes his way forward for all of us when it comes to this idea of rest, and then he'll kick us off. God, thank you uh, so much uh, that, that we get to just be here, be your church, be honest with one another. Lord, if there are people in this room that need some rest, uh, I pray that they would know just how near you are. Pray that they'd allow themselves those moments and that experience uh, and that you'd meet us right in the midst of all this. Uh, God, guide us today. Speak through Glenn and uh, help us each to find a place in our own hearts and our own heads uh, where we can rest in who you are and how you've made us. And we trust all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> Well, um, as we think about uh, this whole thing of rest, you know, this really is a thing because uh, more and more I hear uh, people talking about it. And so if I were to ask you, you know, how, how are you doing on that rest thing? Like, like, where would you be? Do you feel like you're getting the rest you need? Or do you feel like there's this thing where, man, I'm always kind of backed up and I keep trying to get rest and it feels like, I don't know if I ever really uh, get to that place I want to be. And, and I think with, with this, uh, you're not alone. Like we all face this in different ways. But I think there's also something underneath this that maybe uh, is always there or maybe uniquely we're facing more and more just because of the times. There's so many things tugging and pulling on us that, that can drain us in different ways. And as Ryan was saying, um, I want us to talk about this deeper kind of rest because you may be sitting here going, yeah, I, I resonate with that, but I just, I just don't know how to find it uh, in this. And I can relate to that. And part of what I want to get at is um, how this sneaks up on us, but like what we can do about it. And, and I started to learn this, uh, I don't know, back in like 2011. I ran into something where prior to that, this whole idea of like, you know, you have to take time in your life to get your cup filled back up. You're going to go through things and you've got to learn how to pause and rest. And I thought of it in that way, but I hit something back in 20, excuse me, 2011, where um, I really, you know, my eye starts twitching and we've got all of these things that we're trying to lead through in ministry or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I like, I need to get some rest and came up on a, on a really good vacation and went on a vacation and engaged in all of these things that normally would like fill my cup back up and came back and was like ready to go. And then it was just like, man, very quickly, I found myself feeling like, man, my tanks are empty again. And, uh, and if you know me, like I carry like 
a lot of passion and desire. And like, when I think about ministry and where we were going as a church, and even now, like I, I have energy for that, passion for that. And one of the things that I started to notice was I still believed in where God was leading us as a church just as much as before, but it's like my passion was dropping. It was hard to find energy. Like, like I'd come into the office and normally like I'll, you know, it's like, okay, like this is, even if it's like too many things, I'm like, okay, but like, I want to get on top of this. And it was just like, ah, like, and it was this weird thing. And I kept trying to fill my cup back up the way I would before. And it's like, I could just never get it quite full and it would drain really fast. And I learned something that I want to walk through uh, here uh, this morning that for me was one of those things where I'd like to just say, well, you know, and there was something I kind of learned and studied and, you know, I'd say I learned it because I ran into it like a brick wall. And what I mean by that is like it, I, I had no choice. Like it was affecting me more and more at a deeper level and I could not find how to get rest. And, and so it, it just pulled me into this space where I, I've got to deal with this, that there's something, I can't just keep repeating the same thing and think that it will somehow work. Something's changed. And maybe, maybe you found yourself in that same place. Maybe there's like this lack of energy or passion. Maybe it's affecting some of your relationships or how you think about work or even your spiritual life. Like I, it was affecting my spiritual life. Like, and again, it's not like, like I believed in God, it, it, all my beliefs were the same. It's just that there was this kind of emptiness or a lack of energy. And, and somewhere in this, I turned this corner uh, and found what I'm going to call a deeper kind of rest. Not just a rest from something, right? But a rest from something that led to resting in something that became very, very important to me. Um, and so as you think about this, I want you to realize this is not new, uh, you know, for humanity. In fact, when you look back at uh, scripture, it's interesting to think about the Israelites when they were coming out of Egypt, because part of what happens with us, and see if this doesn't ring true for you, we get a little bit of this thinking where it's like, okay, I'm drained, and like the, there's these things in life that are draining me, and, and we get this thinking, if only this happened Ah, then I'd be good. If I could only get away for a week, then I would be good. If I could only, you know, carve out a few more mornings and then I'll be good. If I, and, and I think about the Israelites, right? And uh, imagine you're the Israelites right on the cusp of this time when, when maybe they're going, maybe we'll get to be free, right? And you can see the Israelites uh, going, you know, they're in slavery, they're in bondage, they're, in fact, their job was to make bricks, right? And they made bricks seven days a week, no vacations, no breaks, nothing. And imagine them saying, you know what? You know when we'll get some rest? If we get set free. If we get set free, then, then we'll find some rest. We'll, we'll find some energy for life and some passion and stuff. Just when, when we get set free. You know what's interesting? When you look at the Israelites and they, they are set free, they leave Egypt. 
but the amount of tension and anxiety that they talk about is overwhelming. Like you, you wouldn't know that they're free. The way they talk about life, they're complaining and there's just all of this stuff and you can feel the anxiety and the tension that they have. It's just like, and you're just like, but now they're free. You'd think it'd be, happiness would come easy and they'd be filled with energy and passion. And yet you kind of see the opposite in this. And it's interesting what God does to bring them back around and find something different. And, and this for me was one of these kind of epiphanies um, that I ran into uh, more like a brick wall in realizing there's something going on inside of me and I need to find this deeper kind of rest. And the other thing that I find interesting is when we look back at what God did with the Israelites during this time, it was there all along. In fact, it goes back to the book of Genesis, the very first chapter of Genesis, in fact, where there is uh, this scripture that, that actually held the key to what they needed to understand in all of this. And so what I want to do this morning is I actually want to walk through this passage in Genesis and unpack it in a way that I hope that you come to see rest in a very different kind of way. And you may already be thinking, well, that, isn't that the chapter, you know, like the beginning of Genesis is where it talks about and God rested, and it is. There's a lot there about rest. But maybe there's something underneath all of that that you haven't seen before. And I hope this morning you come to see that in like a really fresh way. Now, as we look at the book of Genesis, one of the things that I want you to um, realize and think about is, uh, remember, this is a book that was penned some 3,500 years ago. And it can be really easy to just read Genesis from our modern mindset, our modern perspective, at face value. And if we do that, we miss the depth and breadth and beauty of what God is doing, what he inspired through Genesis, because it really is a remarkable body of literature uh, in there. And one of the things to understand, so there's a few things to understand. The type of literature, and this is really important to understand, because if you don't understand the type of literature, you're, you're not going to be able to really understand what's going on in it. And Genesis is written in a type of ancient, ancient poetry. Now, you may be thinking, ancient poetry. Huh? Like, right? In fact, how many of you, like when I said Genesis written ancient poetry, you're just like, oh, I was reading it just the other day. And I was like, wow, this is so poetic, right? And you're just like, um, probably not, right? You're just going, it doesn't, it, like, no, right? Um, but remember, ancient poetry didn't operate the way modern poetry does. Modern poetry, we think of, about poetry, it's these real short lines and it rhymes sound. You know, like hickory, dickory, dock, the, the mouse, mouse, dog, whatever, whatever ran up the clock. Something runs up the clock, right? It all rhymes, right? Um, uh, ancient poetry wasn't trying to rhyme sounds. It was rhyming thoughts. And it would, it would, it would take these thoughts and run them through a series of stanzas oftentimes. Uh, it would do it often in story form, but there is a structure to it, m multiple different types of structure. And understanding that structure and what it's doing, um, it really is important. And, and, and one of the things that's important to know is that back in ancient times, 
one of the ways spiritual truth was communicated, right? It w- of all religions, not just Judaism, but any religion, they understood this form of literature as being something that was always trying to convey something about spiritual truth. And so it's no wonder that uh, way back then, God chooses to use this form of literature as what he would use to inspire some of this truth that comes out in this beautiful, beautiful way. Now, a couple of things, and I want you to hang with me here on this, okay? Because I'm going to walk through some things about ancient poetry here, and everything in your modern mind is going to want to go, oh, like this is, you know, but hang with me, because I think what you'll see as you begin to understand this, it will bring something to life out of Genesis that will actually help you understand something really deep and beautiful about rest, okay? So, a couple of quick things before we dive into the passage here. One, ancient poetry was all about, the, right, the point of it was to help people, and I'm going to use a very precise way of saying this, discover truth. And what I mean by discover truth is it, it wasn't meant to simply state or try and transfer a body of knowledge to someone else. Uh, When I say discover truth, it was meant to take people on like a little journey of discovery, like a treasure hunt. And the reason for this was uh, they understood learning to be at its best not when there was information that was simply transferred to you, that you now knew or could recite something. Uh, I now have the information. To them, you really learned something when you yourself went through a process and had like the epiphany. When you yourself was like, had the aha moment where you discovered something. So Ancient poetry is made to have someone going along and begin asking questions and looking at something. And it rarely states the thing straight out because it wants you, it wants you to say it. It wants you to see it and discover it in some way. Um, in fact, in the structure we're going to see uh, in Genesis 1, it uses a very particular structure called a chiasm. And this is where it would actually bury, like the idea of burying one little nugget of truth in, in, inside of this overall structure. And so we're going to look at that as well. That does something that ancient people would have been looking for because they understood learning happens best when you discover it. And that's not us as Westerners as much, is it, right? Uh, we're a little lazier on this. It's like, I don't want to go through a process. Just tell me, right? Even better, give me like a... Give, give me a thesis statement and then some bullet points, right? And I'm really happy. We want it to be logical, like tell me the point, what's the truth, and then have some supporting bullet points. Give me some supporting clauses that build like this linear logical flow of this is the point, right? That's what we look for. Ancient uh, times, not so much. We want you to discover it. The other thing with this are the underlying questions, right? Anytime we're trying to convey truth through any kind of literature, you always have to ask yourself, what are the underlying questions that this truth is all about? 
Um, in, as modern people, we tend to, when it comes to theological things, and especially about God, we want to ask the question, what is God like? Give me some definitions. We love definitions, especially with theology. So we would say things like, God is omnipresent. Ooh, there's a big word. And then we can have a nice definition about it. There we go. In ancient times, the, there are two dominant questions that you see through all ancient literature when it's dealing with, with like the spiritual life, not just Judaism, but even religions that believed in multiple gods. And um, the first one was, what does God, or you know, if they were polytheistic, it was, what do the gods think of me? How do they relate to me? That becomes really important to them. Um, I don't care if God is all powerful. He's more powerful than me. I need to know how he's going to relate to me with that power. That's what they wanted to know. That's an underlying question. And then the second question that you see again and again and again that's behind all of this is, and what does that mean for me? What, what do I need to do? And part of it is because they had, there was kind of a, a, a worldview that you see that they operated with where they, they viewed God or the gods, depending on what they thought, was um, a kind of continuum. Is this on? Oh, no. Is there a way to plug that in? Because I'm going to use it heavily here. Okay, I'm going to let them... Somebody work on this, and then maybe I'll act it out if I can't draw it. It's going to be really hard when we get to the birds in creation. <clears throat> um, so thank you, Zach. Um, so there is this. I wonder if it just needs to be plugged in. Um, so this continuum would be on one side. It is uh, the God or gods or gods hate me. They just, like, they hate me. That's, just, that's, what they, that's how they see me. On the other side, it would be like the gods like me. And there would be this continuum, and they would want to know. And, like, how, do, how does this God think of me? Is it more of likes me or hates me? And because out of that, depending on where that goes, you need to know, like, what do I do next in all of this? Where, where do I go from here in all of this? Um, and so... When you think about this, this, right, this has this kind of underlying question uh, to it. So now if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over to um, Genesis. Thank you. Uh, Genesis chapter uh, 1. Genesis chapter 1. Um, and this is the beginning of the, of the creation narrative in Genesis. And we're going to start in, in verse 3. It says this, And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Now, this is Hebrew poetry, so we're going to go through all of these days are kind of a different stanza, and you're going to see this kind of rhythm and these things that are going to come out uh, in it. Um, and so the first thing that you see in this, it, that you might ask yourself a question about is as he's creating light and darkness, it's talking about separating. And, and we might go, that's kind of odd. He's separating light from darkness, right? Like it just, it, is that how it works or whatever? But there's something happening there at a poetic uh, level. Now he, we go to day two in all of this. 
Before we go to that verse, I'm going to see if this comes up. No pressure, Zach. (laughs) All right. Um, Turn to your Bibles to verse 6, and we're going to pick up day 2. We're going to pick up day 2 here. It says this. And God said, let there be a vault. Um, Some of you, uh, your translation may have an expanse in there. And God said, oh, thank you, Zach. Okay. Let me, let me pause there on that verse. Let me write this up here really quick here. So there's this thing going on where uh, does God, right, hate me or does he like me? Right? And they're asking this question. They're kind of living on that continuum. Does God hate me or like me? Right? Um, now, with that question in mind, we get to this uh, story that would have landed in ancient times, and it begins unpacking this thing. And the first, and we're going to go through each of the days. So the first day, um, God creates light, and He creates darkness. All right, and again, the thing you saw in there is this idea of separating separating. And, and, and again, we're on a little treasure hunt here in this uh, whole thing. Now, here's what we're going to see. So, so l- let me do this. Um, I'm going to treat us uh, like both modern Westerners, right, that love that linear logical thing, tell me the thing, and then walk through it. But I also want you to experience a little bit of the discovery process in this. So let's do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a little bit of the end game, like where this is going to go, just so we as like modern folks have a sense of, of where we're going in this. But then I want you to put yourself in the, uh, the frame of mind of how an ancient person would have gone through this, how they would have thought about this. So, so you can put on your, your modern cap here for a second. Part of what we're going to see in this thing is we think about this continuum. Unlike any other ancient uh, literature telling us about how God relates to us, Genesis stands alone in how powerful it says, not only does God like you, God values you. He values you. You're going to see that. The other thing you're going to see in this is this idea that creation, and specifically you and me, we are not the afterthought of God. In fact, we were created with great forethought. And this also, Genesis stands alone when it comes to this idea of saying to you and I, you're, you, were, you were thought of by God, designed by God before he ever created you. And it all goes to this idea of God values you. He values you, okay? So that's where we're going. Now, um, now put yourself in the, in the mindset of an ancient person who's saying, I've just picked up this, this wonderful text, right? 
And it's going to tell me about how God wants to relate to me and what to do about it. And I'm going to go on a little treasure hunt. I'm going to see if I can find the deep spiritual truth out of walking through all of this. Because I want you to experience that. I want you, I want you to have some epiphany moments uh, in all of this. So we get uh, day one. Now we get to day two. Um, and look back at your Bibles, look at uh, verse six, we get to day two and it says this, and God said, um, there will be a vault or an expanse, right? Between the waters to separate water from water. And we're like, what's going on there? Well, remember the ancients, when they looked up at the sky and they looked at what we might call the outer atmosphere and it's all blue, kind of like the ocean. To them, there's just kind of, it's just kind of like all water. Even if there's something beyond the water above us, there's this dome of water over us. And so in the creation process, God is dividing out this water. So he goes on. So God made the vault and separated, there's that word separate again, separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So now at day two, uh, God creates water and then he creates sky. And again, he does this, but there's this process of separating uh, in all of this. Then we get to day three, um, and the separating continues. And again, he separates the water, but it's kind of like he separates it. He like pushes it off to the different sides, which then forms dry ground or dry land. And so you can see how as we go through these days, there's this pattern that begins forming, this idea of separating and uh, what's happening uh, to all of this. Then all of a sudden, at the end of day three, the separating thing stops. We don't see that anymore in creation. In fact, when we get to day four, um, it says that God creates the sun and the moon and the stars. Okay. Now, if you uh, look at th uh, this, and again, you're, we're on this little treasure hunt. We're trying to figure this out. And it's like, hmm, what, what's going on here? Because there's something kind of strange here, right? We have the creation of the sun in day four, but like the ancients knew. In fact, the text itself identifies this idea that you don't have a day until you have the sun. Well, how is it that we've got three days before the sun is created, right? And as Westerners, we're going, like, that's kind of confusing. What's the... But to an ancient person, they're not worried because this isn't a scientific book to them. That's not what they're worried about. But is there a correlation? Ask yourself that question, right? If, the, if, if there's kind of a mystery here, and, and, and again, there's all of these stanzas going together, and the question, if we're on this little treasure hunt, like, what? Is there a correlation between these days, right? God was separating, separating, and now he's not separating. What, what, just think about what is the correlation? Um, let's go to the next day and see if the correlation becomes maybe a little more clear. So we get to day five and we get something really unique. God creates fish. Wow, like fish. Now think about this for a second and that correlation uh, question here. Um, is, and you think about these other days, like where, where do the fish fit into this? Well, maybe if I look at this, I'd go, you know, the fish, like it's interesting, they, they might fit into day two. And now that I look at day four, the sun and the moon and the stars, 
there becomes this thing where it's like, I could see how they fit in right there, right? And so it's like this thing where um, there's this correlation over here. And then I go back to the fish and I'm like, and where would the fish fit in? Day two, yeah. Now, um, God creates something else on day five, right? And if you had never read the text, if you had never heard the story, you had no idea what it was going to say, I bet there's a chance you would know what gets created next in day five. What would it be? Birds. Y'all are so, so, you make really good ancient people, okay? <laughs> yeah, he creates birds. And see, you're already on this kind of discovery process because what you're looking at is you're seeing these stanzas come through and you're realizing, hey, wait a minute, he's creating this space. He's separating, creating this expanse, a place. And now it's like he's filling it, right? Where day four fills day one and now day five is filling uh, day two. And so now we get to day six and we're like, I think I know where God's going with this thing. He's gonna create all the animals that are gonna be on dry land. And that's what he does. He creates the animals. And what you see is, right? He's already created this space right here where there's dry land for those animals. Do you see what's happening uh, with this? Now, again, if we're asking ourselves the question, like, like what, what is God up to? How does God relate to us? And remember, the ancient people, um, they had never seen anything like this. They knew this, form, this, this poetic form and, and like creation narratives. They had all of that. But here, here's how some of their creation narratives went. The gods get into a massive fight. And as they're duking it out and fighting, they're crashing into all of the ooze of the universe and all of this stuff. And as they crash into each other, like they're, they're pushing up mountains and they're you know, digging out places where the lakes are going to be. And, there's, and all of creation becomes an afterthought to what's happening in the struggle with the gods. The gods don't care about creation. The creation is a byproduct of something else the gods are doing or care about in all of this. But let me ask you something. Is that what this narrative is pointing to? No. Like, if you're reading this for the very first time, trying to figure out what does God think about his, about creation is he just basically like i don't like all that like you know people and the animals and everything like no this is a god who's like you know what i'm gonna create something really cool i'm gonna create like planets and stars right i'm gonna create a moon and and this is gonna be really cool right but i've got to create a space for it god's like um i've got a great idea I'm going to make a creature that can move around in pure liquid, right? So I, I'm going to have the forethought to create some water, right? I'm going, I'm, going to make, I'm going to make creatures that can defy gravity. I haven't created gravity yet, but when I create gravity, I'm going to create something that can defy that gravity, right? I'm going to make something so cool, right? And what you see is, God, as he, like, he knows he's going to create the sun and the moon and the stars. He knows he's going to create fish and birds and animals. 
So much so that before he even creates them, he has the forethought to begin creating space for them because they matter. What does it say when God creates something, but does he value it that he would actually create unique spaces for it to exist? And so all along this whole narrative, as you begin understanding what's happening in this, you start getting this picture of how, of what God thinks of people in all of this. Now, here's the other thing that happens. Um, this particular structure, and I said this before, is a chiasm. And a chiasm is just, uh, and there's different types of structures that would be used in ancient poetry. Uh, a chiasm is where you use a series of mirroring, uh, of mirrored um, stanzas or events within a story. And that's what we have here. So one mirrors four, day two mirrors day five, day three mirrors day six. Um, and there'd be different types of chiasms. chiasms. But this chiastic structure was uh, one of the things that, it, that everyone in the ancient world would have understood is um, it's made to like fold in half. And the idea is the author would plant something in the very middle of it. Sometimes a phrase, sometimes just a word. And that, that it was like a little buried treasure that became really important. So as you were reading through the story or listening to the story as an ancient listener, you'd be looking for, okay, um, I'm on day two, maybe there's going to be four days and, and the little treasure is going to be right here. Oh, wait a minute. There's six days. Maybe the treasure is going to be like right in here somewhere. You'd be looking for this because it has something really important to say. Now, and that may seem a little strange to us. That was a normal way that they understood they would look for this. So we should look for this because this God chooses to use this kind of literature to inspire this kind of truth uh, that he's looking at. And as we would expect, right, and this uh, total story is on, is involves seven days, and we would expect that maybe that chiasm would land right in the middle of day four, because out of a seven-day thing, that's kind of the middle. And if you, if you bookend this story, and you take all the Hebrew words and you go to the very center word, right? This is where you find a little phrase or a word. We find a word and th like this is the, the nugget to understand. And it's the Hebrew word moad, moad. Um, and I want you to see where this lands. If you turn in your Bibles, uh, look, to, uh, look at verse 14. Genesis chapter one, verse 14. And we see this, in, and in English, it often gets translated as two words. And I'll show you where it is. Verse 14, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from night, and then let them serve as signs to mark sacred times. And in Hebrew, sacred times is one word, one word, to mark sacred times and days and years. And we go, hmm, well, like, what's so special about that? sacred times, this, this word Moad. So Moad is only one of four Hebrew words that can either be translated or used for the idea of Sabbath. So think about that for a second. At the very center of this whole thing that's got all of this stuff going on, at the very center, the little treasure that we are to notice is Moad. This idea of Sabbath 
Or in the very center of this, right? Like right, right in the center here is this idea of rest, of rest. Why is that so important? So I want you to go back to those questions, right? If that first question is, you're always looking for, how, how does God see me? How does God want to relate to me? And if this whole structure has been saying, you're of great value. In fact, in day six, the, the last thing created in day six is people. It's people. And it's remarkable what happens. The structure changes when you get to the creation of people. And literally the way God works it out where all of these things belong in these different spaces, with people, it carries the idea that he's created them and this whole thing, this whole thing is for them. God has created them to be able to see and appreciate the nature of this creation as nothing else that he's created, right? First three days, it's separating and creating space. The next three days, it's about filling that space, except for people. And then he says, I give this all to you because I've created people, right? I, it's not just that I like you, right? I, I val I, you know why I value? Because I created you this way. You, see, people can look at this. People, God knew this. God's like, they're going to see the sun and the moon and the stars. They're going to see that moon and the people I create. You know what they're going to want to do? They're going to want to go visit it. Right? They're going to they're gonna figure out a way to travel to the moon. How crazy is that? Deer don't do that, right? Deer aren't like, man, I wish I could just get up on the moon. That'd be so cool. But we do, right? Right? Just, you know, this last month, we're talking about, we're going to send more people to the moon. Why? Because we can't help it, right? We see creation and we love it and we appreciate it. And what God is saying is, you get all of this stuff, right? There's a part of you that sees this. And it's like this idea that God's saying, this continuum that you understand, let me extend the continuum. Because there's a place over here where I value you and I love you. Because that's how I made you. Now, right in the middle of it, the other question. What do we do about this? What do we do? So if this is true, if this is, if this is the truth, that with great forethought, God created you and me with great value. We're not down on this end of this spectrum. We're on that end. What do we do? I think what this chiasm is pointing to is we rest. We rest just like God modeled to us at the end of it. We rest. That's our job. And for us, it's me like, okay, so what, is that, like, what does that look like? Why, what's happening? Why is that important? I want, you to, I want to go back to those Israelites right? I think about the Israelites and they come out of Egypt and now they're free, but they're filled with this tension. They're filled with this thing. And they're just like, like, but you know, we don't know what to do. Like we don't make bricks anymore, right? Like what made the, what made the Israelites valuable? They made bricks. They may not have liked it because, you know, they were in slavery, but they made bricks. And how often did they make bricks? Every single day, because that was their value. If they stopped making bricks, if someone um, was injured and couldn't make bricks anymore, what do you think the Egyptians thought of them? Not a whole lot, right? 
Because if their only value was you make bricks and that's what makes you valuable and you can't make bricks anymore, that'd feel a little threatening, wouldn't it? That'd, that'd fill you with some anxiety. And I think about us. Like, what are the things? Like, in a way, we all make bricks, right? We, we all understand what it is to have moments where, like, like, you know, like, there's this thing I do and, and I can point, that, that's what makes me valuable in this thing. But there's this thing that we always struggle with, isn't there? And it's what if? What, what if? Like, if your value comes because of your popularity on social media, what happens if you begin to lose that? What happens if, what happens if your sense of value be, is out of how you look, how beautiful you are? And what if that fades? What if it's because of the grades that you get? Why, like that's, and you know, we have this belief. We have this weird belief as human beings. And it's like, okay, if, if I f- feel this sense of value because like I'm the smartest one at the office, I'm the one that knows more, whew, you know, but you know, poor so-and-so, they don't know very much and they're down here. So they've got to feel like they're not valued very much, right? This is, this is low value over here. Um, and we always think that if I could just make better bricks and more bricks, right? If I could be the smartest one in the class, if I could be the prettiest girl in the class, if I could be the most successful salesman, if I could be, the, you know, the most popular, I could, you fill in the blank. We always think, then you'd feel great. Really? How many times have you seen the star athlete on a team? quietly struggling to feel like they're good enough, right? They may present with a lot of bravado, but all of a sudden you just, you start seeing those moments where it's like, there's this fear of what if, what if? You can be the prettiest girl in the class, but how often does that person feel like I'm really enough? See, there's this thing where we can begin to struggle with all of this. And I think about those Israelites and they leave Egypt. And I'm sure there's a part of them just like, I'm so glad we're not slaves anymore. But you know what they left back in Egypt? Their reason for feeling valuable. And what I love is what God does. God says, you know what, guys? I'm going to need you to do something for me. I'm going to need you to take a break. Every seven days, you're going to take a Sabbath, a Moad, because I need you to learn that when you stop making bricks, this is how I still see you. See, the Sabbath, that wasn't for God. God was like, okay, I'm going to feel really hurt if you don't take a day off in my honor. It's God saying, you need this. You need to experience the reality of this. I go back to, uh, you know, 2011 and just and I'm like coming into the office and I'm like where like where's the fire where's the energy and I just like and you know part of what I ran into and part of what I realized was like leading uh, being a part of leading this church in a new direction and some of the things and things that I believed in deeply still believe into this day I'm excited about where we have come as a church since 2011 I love that we have become more accepting more loving that we help people find freedom and 
in Christ more and more, right? But there was a part of me back then, right? And I'm sure there's a part that I, I'm going to have to deal with again in all of this. But there's a part of me that uh, something snuck up on me uh, back then, and I didn't realize what was happening. There was a part of this where it was like, okay, I need to lead this church, and there are people, right? And there's a part of me that was just kind of... Uh, there's a part of me that just is lighthearted and just super positive. I'm just like, right, everyone's going to come with us. Everyone's going to come with us. This, this would be great. We're going to change things up. I know they started coming to this church for these reasons, and we're going to change a bunch of this stuff, but they'll love it, and it's going to be great, right? Well, guess what? Not everyone wanted to come on this little journey, right? And there was a part of me that's like, okay, but I need to do the thing to get them to be okay and happy about this, but not give up on the new thing that we're going on. And it became these two competing things where all of a sudden it was like I was living in this world where like, okay, Glenn, you can keep moving this church towards this direction I'm calling you in, or you can make decisions to keep all of these people happy exactly where they are. And I'm like, but I'll do both. And off I went. And it was like I was, I was taking on something that I needed to do. And without realizing, it was like, if I can't get everyone, right? And that's so naive to think, but this is what was going on in my life. If I can't get everyone to go with us in this thing, somehow I'm not good enough. Somehow I'm not, I, and, and I identified it at one point, I was called, I was, it's like I'm trying to lasso the moon. I, yeah, I can do this. I know it feels impossible, but I'll do this. But the truth is, I was not resting. I, I needed my value to be like in some measure of success of this group. I'll, we'll do both. And it started crushing the life out of my soul. Because the truth is, I wasn't resting in a value that didn't have anything to do with the bricks that I was making. So I want to ask you again, what are the bricks that you feel like you have to make? Because maybe, maybe if you're waking up in the morning and it's just like I feel drained and then like I don't have energy for those relationships anymore and I'm, I've lost my fire for, you know, I picked this career, but it's just like it's not bringing me any joy. And then I'm going and I'm engaging in these other things that used to bring me great joy and fill my cup up and it's like they're not filling my cup up anymore. And it's just maybe you're making some bricks someplace and God is saying, I need you to take a break and I need you to learn how to rest in something and it's to rest in this that your value is in what I created in you not the bricks that you make see now I want to end on just a real practical way so what do you do what do you do when you realize I'm struggling with resting in this because I started to realize that but it's just like, so what do I do? Because deep down I feel this thing where like, I, like but, but I need to like. So there's something else in this whole structure that's really, really cool uh, that I want you to see that became a kind of application for me. So if you look at the first, and we read it in one of the passages, it, each day ends with this little stanza and then it says, and that was like the first day. And it says, there was evening and there was morning on the first day. And then this thing repeats again, and it says this, and there was evening and there was morning on the second day. And there was evening and there was morning on the third day. Now, and it goes through evening and morning, evening and morning. Now, anything stand out about that that seems a little strange to you? If you were to go and describe a day, where would you start? 
morning. Yeah, we would go, there was morning and there was evening. God got it wrong. Well, maybe not. There was evening and there was morning. Um, and I actually talked with a rabbi about this uh, way back when, and this was fascinating to me, right? The idea of the Hebrew day doesn't start in the morning. It starts at night. Day starts, right? And you've got all of this pressure, all of this stress, all of these things I need to do. I need to live up to this, and I need to do this and that. And just, Here's how my day starts. In the Hebrew mind, you know how your day starts? Go to bed, <laughs> right? Got all these problems, all these things. Go to bed. And then when the day is half over, you know what you get to do? Wake up. Ah, okay, right. Okay, day's half over. What have you been up to, God? <laughs> I hope you've been working on all that stuff that was stressing me out all day. And now I get to join God in what he's already doing. Because this is how he created it to be. It's like every day starts with us going to sleep. <laughs> we rest. This is how every day should start. And I started doing this. I, every night I'd get back and I'd say, okay, God, I see this thing going on in me and I'm holding up all of these expectations and all these things. And I realize there's a part of me that's owning this in a way that you've not asked me to do, but I still feel the pressure. I still feel the stress of it. And I'd write a bunch of those things out and I'd go, okay, there it is, God. I'm going to bed. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to do nothing. And I'm going to trust that the God who made the sun and the moon and the stars and the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all the animals, that you will go to work. And my job is just to wake up when the day is half over and ask the question, God, how do I get to join you in what you're doing? And there was something about that basic practice that started to put me in a different frame of mind where I could rest. So I want to say to you, what's the thing that's stressing you out? What are the bricks that you feel like, man, these bricks have got to be made. They've got to be done. If they don't like, what is that? Maybe, maybe let your day, maybe let tomorrow start tonight. And I challenge, do, do this, write it all out. Here are the things that I'm stressed out over. Here are the things I need all this rest over. God, here it all. Here's the relational things, the things that we're, doing. and then write it all out and just go, whoo, man, that is a terrible list. I can't, I would hate to be the person that's going to be responsible for that. Here you go, God. It's all yours. And I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to go to sleep because I trust you're going to go to work on that. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up. And I'm going to just say, what do you want me to join you in in this? And I'm going to trust that. And see where that begins to take you. Because friends, you are more valuable than the bricks that you make. That's the truth of Genesis 1. See? All right, why don't we all stand and I'm gonna close this out. And as I do, I wanna just say, man, if you're here this morning and there's something you want prayer over, I wanna invite you. Um, people over in our prayer room would love to pray for you. If you're new around here, um, we've never had a chance to meet. I'm gonna be right over here by these uh, tables. I would love to shake your hand. If you have questions about um, the Discover Jesus class or any, anything related to that, join us over there. In fact, Seth is right over there who's gonna be teaching the class you'll want to meet him uh, here this morning. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we just thank you so much for, um, for your forethought in how you created not just the universe and everything, but how you created us.
how you created us and that you created us with a smile on your face, that you created us with a sense of value in your heart. And may we rest in that. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great morning. We'll see you next Sunday.